As we dive into summer here at Christ Church at Grove Farm, we are also taking a deep dive into the book of Colossians. As modern Christians, we face pressures and influences that will shape how we move throughout the world. The church in Colossae faced similar influences. The Apostle Paul wrote to them, and by extension us, to remind and encourage that amidst the confusion of the age, we can be made complete by focusing on Christ. If you are interested in learning more about Jesus, Christianity, or the faith community here at Christ Church at Grove Farm, I encourage you to reach out to us on our website, ccgf.org. Our pastors and staff would love to connect with you and assist you in your experience with Christ. Here is the message from this past week, grace and peace to you. Good morning, everybody. I'm so excited to be with you here today and to hopefully hear from the Lord. So let's start off our word in the time of prayer. Father God, thank you that you have brought us here. Thank you that you've brought us here to be a church family together, to worship you and to give you glory, to share of our resources for the work of the kingdom, to be encouraged by your word, to be challenged, to think, act, and live more like Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would help what is said today to be from you and glorifying to you. And I pray that it would be taken to heart and that we would see lives transformed by the power of your word. God, help us to have a hunger to be more like you and to live out our lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Everyone, everyone, everyone needs the gospel. Athletes need the gospel. Muslims need the gospel. Men need the gospel. Children need the gospel. There is not one person alive in the world today that does not need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everyone, everyone, everyone needs the gospel. And the question then becomes, if that is what every single person needs, how will they hear about it? How will they hear about the hope and salvation that comes through Jesus Christ alone unless we who love and know Jesus share the word? Unless we live our lives and use our words in such a way that when people encounter us, they encounter in small part our Savior. And we are able to offer with our words and our actions the hope of eternity that we ourselves have found in Christ. Everyone needs the gospel. Do you have it? Do you have the hope of Jesus Christ in your life? And if so, you need to be giving that away. As we arrive at the end of the book of Colossians, we come to the section, it's kind of a, a classic way for Paul to close the letter. And actually a lot of preachers do this too, where you get to the end, you realize you've got a whole bunch left to say and like a tiny little bit of paper left to put it on. So it's usually a rapid fire series of instructions, greetings, directions, corrections, requests for support. It's kind of a bep, 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 rapid fire series of things that Paul wants to finish off his letter with to encourage the church of Colossae and to other people who might read the letter. And the thing about these kinds of passages, these last chapters of Paul's letter, is they often have a whole lot of richness and wisdom packed into a very small area. And because of that, we can miss that. If we don't slow down when we read these rapid-fire passages, we can sometimes miss these very important and powerful words that Paul has to share, both to the church he was writing to and to us today. 
So today we're going to slow down one of these rapid-fire sections. We're just going to look at a small piece and see where it is that God wants to teach us through Paul's writings. Now, in this first two verses of the passage we're considering today, Paul starts off in kind of the sweet spot in that I think he really hits our comfort zone and most likely the comfort zone of the Colossians really well. He says this in verses 2 through 4. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I might proclaim it clearly as I should. Now what's happening here is Paul is in prison for the gospel. He's been preaching the word and now he's been arrested and he's going to be put on trial for all of his ministry work. But yet he's still doing everything he can to support the church. He's writing letters. He's encouraging giving. He is giving direction and correction where it's needed. And he's still doing absolutely everything he can. And throughout his ministry career, he's probably the most prolific church planner of all time. And in his ministry career and in his writings, he wrote more books of the New Testament than any other person. And yet Paul still is requesting prayer, which teaches us a very important thing. If Paul relies on the power of prayer and if God's Spirit to do the work that he was doing, we definitely, definitely need the power of prayer for God to work in and through us. And so we don't want to neglect praying for ministry. We don't want to neglect praying for the work that God is doing all around the world. We can't be everywhere. There has to be God's people everywhere, but we individually can't be everywhere. And so we pray and we support the work of God's kingdom all throughout the world. The problem is, that's where most people's evangelistic comfort zone ends. I call it evangelism by proxy. You're very excited to pray for someone else to go out and share the gospel. You're very excited to give to the work of someone else going out and sharing the gospel, as long as you don't have to do it too. As long as you don't have to take the personal risk of living your life differently. The personal risk of speaking openly about the hope that you have in Jesus Christ the personal risk of being vulnerable about the thing that hopefully is most precious to you. And so you're willing to pray for those who go, which is a good thing. And you are willing to support those who go, which is a good thing. But the idea of going yourself might be a, a bridge too far. Well, Paul gives us exactly three verses of comfort zone before he then turns around on the church of Colossae and he reverses the situation and he says, this is also your work. This is also your task. Yes, I am a church planner. Yes, I'm a missionary. But so are you. And evangelism goes from the task that Paul does while we support him, the task that we support pastors and missionaries in in modern day times, to the task of every believer at all times in all places. Which brings us to an important question. What exactly does this call to an evangelistic lifestyle and this call to an evangelistic way of speaking look like for us? Very practically, how can we live this out? Because we are not maybe going to be in full-time uh, ministry where it is our 24-7 occupation. Maybe we have other ways of, say, making a living. So what does it look like to live out a call to evangelism in our life? Well, Paul answers this very helpfully in verse 5. And he says, make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. And if you only take away one thing from the sermon, this is the big point. This is what you want to get out of the message today. When it comes to having an evangelistic lifestyle, when it comes to sharing your faith through your words, you have to make the most of every opportunity. 
Which brings up two questions. What is the opportunity? And how do we make the most of it? First of all, what is the opportunity? Is Paul talking about making the most of every business opportunity, making the most of every opportunity to pursue a romantic relationship or a personal achievement or accomplishment? No, Paul is talking about making the most of every opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the world around us. That is the opportunity that he's talking about. And how do we make the most of that? How do we not miss an opportunity to share the hope that we have in Christ with the world around us? Well, the next couple of verses have some great step-by-step instructions for us to think about taking advantage of every opportunity that God has put in front of us as Christians. Now, Will Smith is a pretty hardworking guy. Famous actor, recently won an Oscar, some other things happened. But back in 2010... Will Smith was being interviewed on a talk show, and apparently he's also a very, very competitive guy. He's an incredibly high motor, and successful people often are very competitive and have a very high drive. Well, they asked him about his competitive nature, and as he was talking about it, he said a quote that I absolutely love when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to thinking about living a whole life for the gospel. He said this, If you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. Say that again. If you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. Meaning that evangelism shouldn't be the switch we flip on when someone asks us a pointed question about our faith or asks us a very direct question about our church life. It should be a state of readiness where our whole life is so full of the gospel that evangelism happens naturally. And we'll, we'll see what that looks like. But I want you to think about that. If you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. So here's the first way we're going to make the most of every opportunity. We're going to make the most of every opportunity by living intentionally. We're going to live differently. How do we live differently? We live differently so that when people look at us, they see something that does not match up with the world around us. They see something that is noticeably out of place in a good way. In 2006... I competed in the college track and field indoor and outdoor national championships. It's a true fact about me. And I can see some of you are impressed while I'm about to really burst that bubble in a very big way. You see, I competed in 2006 in the indoor and outdoor track and field national championships in the event of race walking. It's true. And in case you don't believe that it's true, here's prime curly-haired Jeremiah crushing it, and that's actually at the Outdoor National Championships. Now, if you look carefully at that photo, you won't see a lot of people around me. And it wasn't because I was winning. It was because in Indoor Nationals, I came in third to last. And in Outdoor Nationals, as a sheer point of pride, I came in second to last because that guy was not going to catch me. I think he was injured. And that was my track and field career. But you see, race walking is a funny thing. It's extremely technical. And when you race walk, you have to hit with your front leg perfectly straight out in front of you. It has to stay straight until it's directly underneath of your body. You have to have one foot on the ground at all times. And so it's this very technical and precise sport that, as an addendum, my college girlfriend talked me into as, uh, as most adventurous decisions are made. And so you have this thing, and literally there's judges around the corner of the track watching you. But when you race walk, 
No one in the history of the world has ever looked at you and gone, eh, he's probably just walking to the grocery store. He's just out for a casual stroll, you know, just kind of going down and uh, headed to the Lego store at the Ross Park Mall. No, it is a very intentional way of walking, and it is noticeably different than regular walking. And that's the idiom that Paul uses here, the expression he uses in verse 5. He says that we are to walk in wisdom in front of the non-Christian world. And so in the same way that my race walking was purposefully different and sillier than regular walking, our Christian walk should be noticeably different and intentionally different from the world around us. So what does that look like? What kind of intentional living are we, kind, are we supposed to practice as Christians? Did you ever notice in Scripture, people ask Jesus a lot of questions. Some people would come to Jesus and they would ask him questions to try and trap him. They didn't like his message. They didn't like his threat to their power or to their money or whatever they thought he represented. So they would ask him questions to try and trap him. Other people would come to Jesus because Jesus had said something difficult or confusing, maybe a parable that they didn't fully get. Maybe it was a teaching that was really hard for them to understand. Some people came to Jesus because they were just hurting and lost, and they needed to know what he was talking about because it seemed like the only real answer to the problems that they were facing in their life. They came to Jesus because he was feeding people. They came to Jesus because he was healing people. They came to him because he was preaching the word of God with authority and power. They came and asked him questions because he was always willing to break a societal norm or a custom in order to love someone, help them hear the message of salvation. They came because despite all of his power and his presence and the crowds that follow him, he made a habit out of hanging out with the lowest of the low, the people who were hurting and broken. And it was different. It was noticeably different from the way the Pharisees and other church leaders lived. It was noticeably different than the world around them, noticeably different than the Romans. So they came to him and they asked him questions with all sorts of motivations, but it was because Jesus lived intentionally differently. And he did so to model that for us. Did you know that there are people this summer for the Summit High School trip, for AMP Camp and for VBS, who took an entire week of vacation to serve? They could have gone to the beach. They could have gone to the mountains or to see faraway family. Uh, they could have just taken a week off and not gone outside. But instead, they gave up a whole week of their personal vacation time so that kids and teenagers would hear about the hope of the gospel that we have in Jesus Christ and hopefully have their lives transformed by that message and hopefully take that message of transformation home to their families and be the light of Christ in their families. And they so believed in that cause, they set aside huge amounts of their time and resources so that the gospel would be spread, so that the light would shine around in the church. That's different. That is a different kind of living. And if we're feeding people and we're helping people to be healed and we are preaching the word of God and we are serving people who have nothing to offer us other than needs— People will ask us questions too. They'll want to know what's different about us. And some of them may do so with good intent and some with bad, but that's not our problem in the same way that it wasn't Jesus's. People should in us see Jesus. And Paul says make the most of every opportunity. Every implies that it's more than once. Every implies that it, it comes up maybe even regularly. 
And because we're living differently and we're living intentionally, because we're walking in wisdom in front of the world around us, we look for every opportunity to declare the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And we don't easily blend into the world around us. It should not be hard to find out that you're a follower of Jesus. Now, the second way I want to think about this, making the most of every opportunity, is that we are to make the most of every opportunity by speaking graciously. We're to make the most of every opportunity by speaking graciously. Oh boy, there's a lot of ground to cover when it comes to how we talk. Uh, if you want a primer on, uh, on the risks of our speech, go read James chapter 3. It's always a grounding reminder of the power of our words. And I find in a lot of Christian circles today, whether it's in person or online, people will use one question to determine how it is that they should speak. They'll ask the question, is this true? Are our words true? And that's an important question. That is a significant question, especially in a world that increasingly rejects the idea of truth at all, and especially is pushing back on the idea of Christian truth. And we do need to consider the question of whether or not our words are true. But the problem is, that cannot be the only question that we ask. If the only question you ask is, are my words true?, you put yourself in very risky territory. Because I hear a lot of preachers and a lot of podcasters and a lot of Christians making social media posts where the only thought they put into what they're sharing was, is this true? And they don't consider whether or not they're speaking graciously. Whether or not they're speaking in such a way that the grace of Christ, as well as the truth of his word, flows out of us. And again, we look to the example of Jesus. I don't think we ever saw Jesus berate someone who did not know God for their sin. He never used the truth to sledgehammer anyone into his kingdom. We never saw Jesus just laying into sinners because their lifestyle was not glorifying to God. And while Jesus won all the arguments, I don't think he ever set out to win a single one. When Jesus was met with the difficult questions, his responses were almost without exception designed to cause the person to think about their heart and about their motives and to cause them to self-reflect and say, am I in line with God's will? Who am I really? What, what am I called to be? How am I called to live? Jesus' apologetic was grace. His apologetic was healing and feeding and presence. And we do need to consider the truth of our words, but we need to consider even more than that. Are we speaking graciously? 1 Corinthians 13 is a very famous wedding verse. And it talks about how it is that we are to speak with love. And it's a great, great passage for husbands and wives to consider together as they come into the bond of marriage for how it is that they can speak to each other in love. But I don't think it's the only way that you can read that verse or the only way it's meant to be read. Because it says in 1 Corinthians 13, we can be perfectly correct to the point where we are literally speaking the language of angels. And if we are not speaking with love, we're as useful as a crashing cymbal or a resounding gong. Think about that analogy. We have cymbals right there. If someone were to take one of those cymbals off and just start banging it by your ear, you'd want to leave. It would be off-putting, it would be upsetting, it would be a grating situation. You certainly wouldn't want more of the symbol crashing in your ear. 
And that's what 1 Corinthians 13 says we become if we neglect grace and only ask the question of truth. If your default interaction with the non-Christian world around you is either anger or disgust, then you need to hear this. You might be a clanging cymbal. You might be a resounding gong. And where you mean well and you're speaking truth, you might instead be spreading a desire to get away from the hope that you have in Christ. You can't neglect truth. You can't. But by the same token, you can't neglect grace because Jesus didn't. He doesn't allow us that option. There's a difference between agreement and gracious living while disagreeing. You should not condone sin, but you should do everything in your power to graciously show a sinner Jesus. They can hate you, but you can't hate them. I'll say that again. They can hate you, but you can't hate them. Because that's the call that Jesus puts on our life. Now there's a movie called Signs. It came out in 2002, starring Mel Gibson. It's an M. Night Shyamalan movie. And it's not very good. I'm just being transparent. It doesn't hold up very well. Um, some of the movie's plot holes have some plot holes in them. But there is a great character when it comes to evangelism, and his name is Merrill Hess. And with someone like that, he has a perfect occupation. He was a baseball player. He played minor league baseball. However, by the time the movie's story is being told, he had been cut from his minor league baseball team because he swung at every single pitch. He said, it doesn't feel right to not swing. And so it could be the most outside ball. It could be the most terrible pitch. But Merrill was going to swing that bat as hard as he could at the ball and try to make contact and try to hit a home run. And he would swing the ball, swing at the ball no matter what. And again, if you're a baseball coach here or a baseball player, please don't do that. But as a strategy for evangelism, it's actually quite powerful because he was looking for any opportunity to take a swing at the ball. He thought every pitch could be a home run. And in the same way, we as believers should be looking for every opportunity to present the hope that we have in Christ to others. By living differently and by speaking graciously, we create those opportunities. And then when they come, we swing at them with all our might, not in an abrasive or aggressive way, but in a loving and winsome way, using the same apologetic that Jesus did when he was interacting with someone that didn't know him. Now, there's a third way I want us to think about making the most of every opportunity. We want to make the most of every opportunity by being seasoned with salt. Now, this is a reference. Paul here is pointing back to some writing that Jesus did and some teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus says, to describe how we are to be as believers, we're to be salt and light. We are to be visibly different such that it radiates out into a world that has only darkness without the hope of Christ. And when people see us, they see that light shining out of us. And we're to be salt. We are to be seasoned differently. We're to have a different flavor than the world around us so that when they encounter us, they get a taste of our risen Savior. And we are to be that salt. And again, Paul pulls it out here and says, we, t we are seasoned with salt in our conversation. Matthew 28, 18 and 19 says this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Here's the cool thing. If Jesus has that true of him, it's true of us as well because we are his messengers and we have the same spirit of God in us that he has in him. These are all promises of scripture, meaning that because we have Christ in us, 
we too have the power and authority that he had. And it's by that power that we can be seasoned with salt. The salt is the thing that gives our words a different flavor. The salt is the thing that makes our life take shape in a different way. We are so full and covered with the gospel that it comes out of us naturally. We are seasoned with salt so that we are different than the world around us. No one has to guess about who it is that we follow, who it is that we are imitating. Our life should be intentionally different and our words should be full of grace because our whole life is seasoned with the salt of the gospel. You ever hung out with a car guy? Don't worry, car guys. It's actually not going to be bad for you. But you ever hung out with a car guy? I mean, someone who's really into cars. Someone who maybe is working on a car themselves, loves to go to classic car shows. Someone, someone who a big part of their hobbies and interests is the world of cars. And it's a very immersive world with a great deal of variety. And it usually takes about 0.5 seconds of being around a car guy before you hear about cars mostly because they're wearing the t-shirt with the picture of a car on it. But if you're around a car guy, it's a very natural extension. And if you spend time with a car guy, you're going to learn something about cars. Now, you may not yourself decide to become a car girl or a car guy. You might not take it up as a hobby. But simply by being around car guy, you will learn a little bit more about the world that so deeply inhabits his heart and his mind. You will have an encounter with the world of building and collecting cars simply by being around someone whose deep passion is cars. And it should be the same thing for us with Jesus. It should be something that we love, something that we're excited about. I had a friend who had a gift for evangelism, and when I asked her about it, she'd always say the same thing. She'd, it's only awkward if you make it awkward. Because she loved Jesus. And if we love Jesus, and that flows out from us, you may not be a big talker. Maybe you're an introvert. But your life will be seasoned with Jesus. Maybe you talk as much as I do, or even more if that's possible. Your words should reflect Jesus. When people are around you for any meaningful amount of time, they should have a very small encounter with Jesus and learn more about the world of following Jesus because it's your favorite thing. It's near and dear to your heart. It's something that you're passionate about, and it just flows out of you naturally. So the gospel has to be seasoning your life in the Word. If you're not reading God's Word, it's not seasoning your life. It is His truth, His revelation, written down for each and every one of us to be transformed by. If you're not in prayer, you're not being seasoned by the gospel because we need to be in communication with our Heavenly Father. It's by His power that we go forward. In Christian community and worship, and serving. These are all things that season our life with the gospel so that when people encounter us, they have a natural encounter with our Savior. And I want to remind you of something Paul talked about at the very beginning of this passage. All of this happens through prayer. Paul is one of the greatest evangelists of all time, the most prolific New Testament writer, incredible church planner, and yet he was asking for prayer. You'd think he'd like leveled up on Christianity enough that he could just like go out and do the thing. But no, he needed prayer from the church in Colossae for the work that he was doing and the work that he was encouraging all throughout the world. And so if you want to be someone who's living this out, you need to go to the Lord in prayer. Pray for yourself in the same way that David talked about preaching to yourself. Pray for the people that you love that also love Jesus. Pray for the church that we collectively will do this. All of this happens through prayer. One thing I want to highlight is that you can't make the most of every opportunity if you don't know Jesus. You can't possibly 
live out your life for Jesus if you have not personally been saved by him. And so I want to tell you about how it is that you come to be saved so that you can live intentionally, so that you can know him and be seasoned with the salt of the gospel. The very beginning of creation, God made the world perfect. There's no sin, there's no brokenness, there's no fighting. We were in a perfect relationship with God. He would go for cool walks with people in the garden. And there was no brokenness. There's no separation there. There's no corruption of our hearts or the world around us. And then what happened is God made one rule in the garden. Don't eat from the fruit. It didn't matter that it was a fruit. It could have been don't push the big red button. Could have been don't put on the Nikes. It doesn't really matter what it was that God, he set something there as a way to say, trust me. I have your interest at heart. Trust me, I love you. Trust me, I want what is best for you. Don't try to be God. Leave that to me and you be made in my image in perfect blessedness together. But Adam and Eve listened to temptation and they ate the fruit. Because of that, their hearts were broken and they were separated from God because God's perfect and now they were not. And every one of their descendants, which is all of us, have that same brokenness inside of us where we're tempted to sin and where we commit sin, and where we live in sin. And so that brokenness separates us from God, and it curses the world. So if you've ever wondered to yourself, why is the world so beautiful and terrible at the same time? There it is. God made something beautiful, and it got twisted. But God had a plan for our redemption. Jesus came down to earth, and he lived a perfect life, never once committed a sin, never once gave in to temptation. And he lived that perfect life. And then he died on the cross because the consequence of rebelling against God was death. It was a death penalty. But Jesus died in our place so that we could be brought back to what we were supposed to have all along and what we will get back as his followers in glory. We're restored to a right relationship with God. And by his spirit, we become more and more like Jesus who lived that perfect life, who died on the cross and who rose again. Because again, it says if it happened for Jesus, it will also happen for us. So we have eternal life because he rose from the dead. And for you personally here today, Romans 10.9 has a really simple direction for how you make Christ's work apply to you. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's no cleanup work before. You don't have to get your house in order. You have to believe that you, your house is never going to be in order and that Jesus is the one who sets things right. And you have to confess that his way of doing things is the best. It was the same question Adam and Eve asked. Is God's way the best way? And you have to declare, yes. His way was best, is best, and always will be best. And I want that back. I want what we lost. So I confess that I want Jesus to be my Lord. I want to be more like him. And I confess that I need a Savior and he is my Savior. And that's how the gospel comes into your life. And after that, it's not a constant then battle to keep God's approval. It's a life of desiring to live out your new identity of being like Jesus. So if you don't have the hope of the gospel in your life and you don't know how you could possibly live differently, it starts with knowing Jesus. And then every day, trying to be a little bit more like him. Everyone, everyone, everyone needs the gospel. Everyone hearing this needs the gospel. Everyone who's not hearing this needs the gospel. And if you have that hope of eternity in your heart, if you have the message of salvation and eternal life, 
Your words and your actions should reflect that reality and you should be living and speaking differently and graciously and seasoned with salt so that people see Jesus in you and they have an encounter with your Savior when they encounter you. People should be coming to us and we should be going to them with the hope of eternity. If you want a really practical resource, there's a, a, an app, book, and videos by, uh, called Life on Mission. Really simple way. Breaks down the gospel really similar to the way that I just did. So if you're, if you're a note taker or you want to put it on the Connect card, Life on Mission, you could download the app on the way out. You could get the book. It's really incredible resources that help you feel comfortable. If the evangelistic moment comes up and you have a chance not just to talk about Jesus, but to even lead someone to Christ, it's a really easy tool for you to be able to pull up and guide you through that process. But we always want to be ready to offer the hope that we have in Christ. We want to live our whole life on mission. We want to make the most of every opportunity that God presents to us. And you don't have to get ready if you stay ready. Let's pray. Father God, you have called us to be imitators of you. And in imitating you, we should not look like the world around us. So God, help us to be noticeably different. Help us to be people whose lives are intentionally different, especially in front of the non-Christian world. Help us to be people whose words are so full of grace and compassion and the hope and the peace that we have in Christ that people are restored when they talk with us and not torn down. Pray that you would so season our life with the salt of the gospel that it would be the first thing and the main thing that people encounter when they encounter us. God, I pray that you would be glorified by our life and our words and help us to make the most of every opportunity to share the hope that we have in Christ. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Amen.